Yes, hello, it's Jason Louv. Happy New Year. I'm recording this just as fireworks are beginning to start on New Year's. A brand new year is ahead. Hopefully it is way, way better than the last few. I have a very special podcast for you. It's actually something we've never done before. It's an experiment. Some of you are going to love this and some of you might not. So what are we doing? I having moved fairly recently, have been going through tons of old boxes of stuff, and I have surfaced lots of interviews I did with people in the early 2000s. Yes, I've been at this a long time, way before podcasts existed. I actually began my career by interviewing people and publishing the interviews, and I found some of the tapes of those early early conversations. The one that I have put out for this podcast is Jim Carroll, who some of you will probably be familiar with, some of you will not be. He is most famous for being the source material for the 90s movie The Basketball Diaries with Leonardo DiCaprio. He's kind of a tail-end beat writer, similar to William Burroughs and Ginsburg in some ways. His story is that he was a basketball student who got a private scholarship to a really elite private school in New York in the 1960s, and then got really into heroin and descended into the underworld of the Lower East Side of New York throughout the late 60s, and then was a mainstay of the punk scene actually in the late 70s. And in the 80s, he started his own band, the Jim Carroll Band. And you've probably heard his most famous song, People Who Died, I think it was actually used in one of these Suicide Squad movies that DC put out. If you're my age, you will definitely remember that song. If you don't know it, you should really look it up on YouTube. It's just a list of friends of his that have died in horrible ways. And it slaps. So Jim Carroll spent the rest of his life, he's now dead unfortunately, he spent the rest of his life writing memoirs, diaries, and poetry including books like The Basketball Diaries, which the movie is based on, and Forced Entries. Here's a sample diary entry from The Basketball Diaries, winter 1966. The more I read, the more I know it now, heavier each day, that I need to write. I think of poetry and how I see it as just a raw block of stone, ready to be shaped. That way words are never a horrible limit to me, just tools to shape. I just get the images from the upstairs vault, it all comes in images, and fling them around like bricks, sometimes clean and smooth, and then sloppy, and ready to fall on top of you later. Like this house where I got to sometimes tear out a room, and make it another size or shape so the rest makes sense, or no sense at all. And when I'm done, I'm stoned, as on whatever you got in your pockets right now, dig. Now I got these diaries that have the greatest hero a writer needs, this crazy fucking New York. Soon I'm going to wake a lot of dudes off their asses and let them know what's really going down in the blind alley out there in the pretty streets with double garages. I got a tap on all your wires, folks. I'm really just a wise-ass kid getting wiser, and I'm going to get even somehow for your dumb hatreds and all them war baby dreams you left in my scarred bed with dreams of bombs falling above that cliff I'm hanging steady to. Well, We actually talk about that passage in this interview. This interview was done in 2002. I was still in college, actually, and he had just done a poetry reading 
in, I think, San Jose. And I got to kind of sit there and interview him with a mini cassette recorder, which some of you hopefully remember, while he was signing books. So I was able to digitize the tape. For those of you who know mini cassette uh, tapes, they're not the greatest quality. They're the same tapes that people used to use in answering machines. So it's a bit of an uphill battle in that the, the medium itself is not great. These were never meant to record things that would be uh, put out into the public. They were meant for journalists and writers to take notes or do interviews that they would later transcribe. In addition to that, we're talking about a 20-year-old tape and tapes disintegrate with age. And in addition to that, this was recorded with a ton of background noise. We were surrounded by people and, you know, making noise and drinking. And, and so I was able to digitize the tape and I was able to, through the modern sorcery of artificial intelligence cleanup and, and editing tools and things like that, bring out the conversation and resurrect it to life. And I think it's a phenomenal conversation. You're going to have to be patient with the quality. I did the best I could, but we're kind of trying to resurrect the Dead Sea Scrolls here. I think it's worth it because I was really touched listening to the conversation again. He says a lot of great stuff of historical importance. I believe we did this right after 9-11. So this may have even been in 2001. It might have been late 2001. So we're talking about 9-11. He talks about that passage, actually, and how it's going to change uh, the consciousness of America. So I think it's actually a phenomenal historical document. He actually talks also quite a lot about becoming a writer and words of advice to young writers or creative people, which I think was just phenomenal listening to it again. I was really touched by it. I think it's something that anybody can take something away from, whether they are a creative person of any type or, or not. Uh, it's just wise life advice. So I had to put this out. It's a little rough, but it's worth it. So enjoy it. Look up Jim Carroll. His books are all still available. He is he is gone now, unfortunately. But this this tape, um, you know, which makes this tape all the more poignant. Now we are kicking off the new year with a brand new course at Magic.me, the Astrology of Wealth, taught by Mickey Pellerano, a brand new teacher at Magic.me. I'm going to be taking the class. We're going to put it out in the first week of the year, so the first week of January, and. I have, he sent me the beginnings of the course. We're just wrapping it, wrapping it up now. I have watched these videos. They are phenomenal. I am really, really excited. I think that Mickey has done the best two hour astrology course uh, ever. And he went all out. I mean, this is a, a, a colorful, visual, hands-on course with tons and tons of material to look at and absorb. And he just did an amazing, amazing job. This is definitely going to be one of the best courses on the site. And I'm very excited. The topic of the course is learning the basics of planetary astrology, but specifically for financial and business success. Because if you're going to prove to yourself that magic works, why not start with something measurable like that? You can still get tickets to the course. P.S. Just to clarify, it is not a live course, but if you sign up before the beginning of the course, or maybe in the first few days while it's out, you will be able to get access at the higher tiers of the course to live sessions with Mickey. We've just booted up a brand new kind of inner circle 
chat room slash forum. It is not Discord. It is not Facebook. It's our own thing. It's run through Circle, which is a, a much higher end version of that type of thing that is just for us. And he's going to be doing multiple 90 minute sessions where you can talk to him about your questions and learn directly from him. And there's just going to be a ton of extra material. So if you're signed up for the basic tier of the course, it's not too late to upgrade so that you get access to that. You can just email our support team, which is support at magicme.zendesk.com. That's the support desk address. Uh, you can upgrade and it's not too late, of course, if you don't have a ticket to buy one. But don't worry about missing any live dates outside of the two live sessions with Mickey. It is a pre-recorded, polished, finished product and you will get access to it whenever you sign up. All right. So keep an eye out for that. We will be emailing. And by the time I do the next podcast, it should be uh, it should be open running and in full swing. Okay, so check that out. You can see it at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, the astrology of wealth. And enjoy this rough, but I think very poignant interview with Jim Carroll. Okay, happy new year. You talked some in the, uh, the question and answer today about uh, New York and what's happened there recently, and you basically all of your your most of your work, your diaries, and your poetry have been about New York and living in it and being a part of that as a city. Uh, how do you feel in the wake of this, and is this going to affect your work at all? Yeah, yes. I mean, it changes my past work. It changes everybody's past work. But everybody's work has always changed. With every new book that a person writes, you look at the, uh, a person who maybe influenced that person or in a different way, you know? Uh, you know, when Beckett started writing, you look at Joyce doing books differently. Uh, but when something like this happens and the psyche of America has changed, you better believe that uh, it changed, I mean, you know, in the obvious example, so like we're talking about Ground Zero and, and the Basketball Diaries. Also, I I say in the Basketball Diaries, but I didn't even know this until this class I spoke to pointed it out to me. I, I know now that I want to be a writer. I feel it stronger each day. And then I say I want to have my books powerful enough so that one day I'll write a book only five pages long and Every time you turn a page, a different section of the Pentagon will explode solid. That was, I see, someone pointed that out. I forgot all about that. And so that was weird. Surprised nobody's come knocking on my door. But uh, it, it changes. Like, I was aware when I was reading that piece tonight for that new book. I made a reference to the the World Trade Center and compare, comparing there might be higher buildings. I mentioned the CS Tower and, you know, I said the World Trade, because that was written, you know, like, you know, six months ago. So that might have to be changed now. Hmm. I have a friend, he's a crime writer, and his book, um, he's been working on it two years, and the last three really important chapters are about these terrorists who blow up all these buildings in lower Manhattan. Uh, and that's two years of work dead, you know, he can't publish that now. 
uh, in the basketball diaries, you talked a lot about growing up in the shadow of the bomb and uh, that at least contributing to a reason for your drug experiences a bit. Um, uh, I was wondering, what do you think about kids now growing up in the shadow of the, the new New York, growing up in the shadow of what's happened? What do you think uh, I, is going on there? I don't know. Uh, my my ex-wife uh, and her husband had two children who I'm pretty close with. And, uh, I think they're a lot, you know, they get a lot of love and, you know, they're, Married guy, after me, astonishingly wealthy and powerful. I mean, the music business. Uh, I mean, she makes good money herself, an entertainment lawyer, so it's kind of her own firm now, so that represents a lot of biggie. Uh, but uh, I, I only think that's, I mean, I look at kids, I mean, what's, one of those is Chad, but she's very precocious. Uh, the other one is like eight, you know. But I can see the ten-year-old search feel that, like I always feel like you're the blog. She wants to be around the mob, you know. She doesn't want to go to school and stuff like that, you know. And with the eight-year-old one, even more so, you know. But what's heard about the rural age crisis? I didn't even understand it because I was like, you know, like four or five, but I could pick up some vibe that was weird, and if my mother left the room, I would call for her to make sure she was still there within, like, within it. I don't, you know, I haven't been around enough kids, uh, to, I mean, there were school kids there all around in schools from, yeah, I mean, about four schools, from grade schools to high schools, who were in their classrooms see the second plane hit the World Trade Center, you know? I mean, they didn't have to be evacuated and stuff. I mean, that's a lot worse than, you know, just the threat of uh, war from, uh, from... Well, maybe the threat is worse, you know? I, I allowed, you know, I created my own terrorist knowing in Cold War. I mean, there was a validity to it. But I can't, you know, I can't speak for those kids. I imagine that their fear is, you know, that, I think that most kids in America, their fear is, uh, at a certain age, is that they're going to get drafted, you know, and have to fight a war. I know that's true with a couple of young writers I know who are like 20, 21, you know, and who don't, don't want to fight in the war, you know, they don't really believe it what we're doing in Afghanistan right now. I mean, of course, they're against the lost and stuff, but, I mean, they just have different, but they live in a different reality than all these guys do, you know? The fact is that uh, the politics of it is, like, you know, I, I, I don't want to go into, but it's effect on, uh, but people, my kids, I really don't, you know, I really haven't sussed it out, you know. I just, uh, I'm not around, like, really young kids or, like, high school kids uh, that often and stuff to really ask them, you know. And a lot of the basketball diaries you talk about in connection with the bomb and also with just other things. A lot of it seems the early entries are about uh, your, your fear of the world almost. Uh, and 
Is that something that led to your writing or contributed to your writing and your drug experiences? Well, I write about my long years during the basketball diaries, so obviously I'm still contributing to it. Um, what, what was the second part of the question that you just asked? Did, did that fear of the world contribute to maybe your growth as a writer? Not in any sense, but no, not after that period, you know, and not now. I, I didn't have a fear of the world. I just had a fear of the uncertainty of the boss, you know. It wasn't uncommon. I felt it a little more than most people, I think. But there were, I mean, there are others, I, I'm sure. But uh, I remember my brother didn't feel it as much. He was teasing me during the Cuban crisis, you know. On the other hand, well, we'd sneak up and, and stay, stay up late to watch the Friday night uh, scary movie. He'd, uh, he'd always, like, couldn't sleep and would have nightmares and stuff, and I had no problems sleeping, you know, so I made it, like, choose your poison. I thought, and with poetry, it had no effect on me at all, you know, because with, with prose, prose, I write, you know, about my life. I mean, I mean, these novels I'm working on are fictional and in the third person, so they're not autobiographical, I want to get away from that. But, uh, like, forced entries in the basketball diaries are about my life. That street rap style is, is it, although I don't have that, it, the more sophisticated the writing in, in, uh, in forced entries, even though some of the things like Steve Rochi, the writing itself is more sophisticated. But the fact is that it really, uh, I want to write books uh, there where it's natural and uh, I'm putting down my life. You know, that street, that rap rhythm is very natural to me. Whereas with poetry, from the beginning, I always wanted poetry to take me out of my quotidian life, you know. I wanted to get away, uh, use poems to make the mundane less mundane and to make the... Uh, what was intangible, more tangible, you know, do both at once. I, I, uh, I wanted, that's why my early poems are, have a certain air you fishing in them, I dare say, or something, you know, they, when I started doing rock and roll, the poets who, I mean, critics who had, music critics who had only read the basketball diaries would refer to me as a beat poet, but I wasn't a beat poet at all, you know, I wasn't into that. I mean, I wanted poems that were like, you know, my poems were influenced by like the French surrealists and the and German poets like Rilker and stuff, you know. I mean, poetry was completely different for me, you know. At this point in my life, I... And so I had a bomb fear that was in my youth and stuff. When I wrote old, I wrote to get away from that, you know. I didn't want to shoot it in any kind of imagery or anything. I've never been a big fan of political poetry. It usually winds up being incredibly boring and mediocre, you know. Although, if, when somebody writes a good political poem, it's really powerful when it's good, you know, but they're very far in between. I read one in the class today that I think is a really great poem. I didn't read that the reading. Um, you talked to the uh, uh, San Jose State class today. Yeah. Uh, was that for uh, young writers? 
Yeah, it was one of the classes. I think they have to tie it with the reading series. Yeah. Did you have any uh, any uh, words to them as young writers? Did you have any specific words to them as young writers? Basically, they were asking me questions and stuff, you know? I was talking about, you know, the, well, I also did, it was kind of a, a follow-up, because when the last reading was canceled, because the travel messed up, so I, I did like a phone interview with the, uh, I mean, a phone class with them, they had like a, you know, a phone hookup, where they had a speakerphone, and they could hear me and ask me questions, and I was at home in New York, and I, we did it for about an hour, so it was like a whole class. And and so this was like the second part of that, you know. I asked them if they had thought about anything I said and spoke about that. But, I mean, yeah, I mean. Or maybe my question should be, do you have any uh, words in general? I mean, what? About what? Of being to, a writer? To specific, this is for a college institute, so specifically to, to young young people maybe in that same space that you were as a young person, as a writer, coming up? Oh, well, if the person wants to be an artist, I just say, you know, you have to put yourself into it completely, you know? I mean, that's what I did. When I switched into rock and roll, which kind of was a fluke, really, I mean, I, oh, thanks, I like that flat, I like that. Uh, yeah, that's dynamite. I, um... I don't listen. I really don't listen to that much music, you know? I mean, you know, older, I listen to all the people, you know? Maybe, I mean, I was interested in Dylan's new album. I thought it was great that he used Charlie Sexton on guitar. I, mean, I thought that was really cool. Charlie Sexton's a very underrated guitar player. I don't know what to say to him. I know it's a general question. I mean, uh, I mean... <laughs> I mean, in a, I mean, to quote Joe Campbell, follow your bliss, you know? You can't be, if, if it's art that you're interested in, then, you know, um, then, you know, you can, you always have to keep in mind that Henry Miller didn't publish his first novel when he was like in his early 40s, you know? I mean, um, I mean, you have to just, uh, I mean, keep writing away, even if you have to work at another job and stuff like that, you know? And you have to read, you know? You can't just write after reading a couple of styles, you know? You have to read open classics and, um, and contemporary authors, you know? You can't just glom on some writer who you like and kind of build the style for that style now. You have to absorb like styles that you may not, I mean writers that you may not at first like, you know. But um, and you have to learn to read with your inner register, your heart, as well as your intellect, you know. Most important thing that you have to do is, especially when you get out of college, all that learning trivia, all that well, knowledge that you learn, the best thing to do is, like, I did it when I went to California. I mean, you, 
what I've learned in trivia, I learned from my poet friends and from school and stuff. Um, not, not just about writing, but about you know, arcane facts and things like that. All the knowledge that I, I, I accumulated a lot, a lot of knowledge, but it took me being in this kind of recluse period in the country for the first time in my life to, uh, to transform knowledge into wisdom, you know? And to transform, like, you know, ideals into principles and stuff. But to transform knowledge into wisdom is the most important thing you should set yourself when you get out of college. And, I mean, especially for an artist, but not exclusively for an artist. Just for someone who wants to, like, understand their life and live it right, you know. And not have to look back on it and realize, you know. I didn't. I never did a thing that I, I liked doing. You know, I mean, I, my life sure is a compromise and equivocations. I can't imagine anything sadder. You know, especially in these times. Yeah. I mean, I notice also, at least in New York, a lot of people. They talk about people not going out to eat and stuff like that. I noticed they took me to this nice restaurant tonight before we came here, and they said that normally before 9-11, that place would have been packed on a Thursday night, you know? So it obviously is happening even here, you know? It affects the economy everywhere, that people aren't going to go out. They want to stay at home in case something happens. That's understandable for a while, but you have to live your life. The thing is that you really have to, um, I mean, you, you have to, um, you have to just, um, I don't, I don't know, uh, be defiant about the, uh, other, other forces that you can't control, you know, um, and, um, at least feel that, you know, you've done what, you know, um, the task that you did that you're, you're happy doing, you know? I mean, with all the uncertainty, you might as well, I mean, oh, I, I noticed that a lot of people, like, the point that I couldn't remember was a lot of people are like diabetics are going out and eating like four sugar donuts and stuff. People... Nobody has stayed on, like, the diets that they work years to, not just diet, but changing their food regimen, you know, completely, which you have to do. I mean, they just start picking out again, you know. They, nobody goes to, to gyms and stuff, which, you know, I don't care about in a big way, but. It's important to keep your body well for your mind well. I feel better if I work out a little, you know. So, I mean, people are smoking incredibly more, you know. People are drinking like fish. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, this is not the way to face a crisis, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, no matter what you think about politically, uh, you you got to keep your own life in order, man, because nobody else is going to do it for you, especially now. But the most important thing is like transforming the knowledge into wisdom, and, um, and you know, and following what you believe, you know, especially in these times, you know, knowing what you do is what you you know really want to do.
Okay, hope you really enjoyed that, despite being a little bit rough. Astrology of Wealth with Mickey Pellerano starts the first week of January. Keep an eye out for announcement emails. Get your ticket now. Upgrade your ticket to get the live sessions with Mickey if you like. And until next time, Happy New Year.